This is Michael Coe from the Punk Rock and Politics Podcast, and you're listening to some of the best podcasts available on the internet, only on the No Phony Podcast Network. to Heroes Garage. This is Tom, and along with me today is... Bill. Bill, Mr. How Bill. Did that sound? Bill. <laughs> Plain old, we got Bill and Tom. There you go. Yes, Heroes Garage is a weekly podcast where we review movies, TV shows, and things that show up on streaming services. We tend to stick to superheroes, fa- fantasy, and science fiction. However, today we're going to tackle... Something different. It's going to be yes. the, pro- the show Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino film. Nice. So, Bill. Yeah. Yes, Tom. I'm hearing that you can't wait for this review, so much so that you don't want to do the frivolous <laughs> warm-up. <laughs> I, am, I am at your uh, beckoning call, Tom. I could walk right into the warm-up. I am fine. How are you, Tom? I am good. I, I'm kind of thinking about how we changed our mind. Originally, we were going to look at a a property that was loosely connected. Not loosely. It was connected to a comic book that was a Vertigo book um, a while back. And Bill and I started looking at the early reviews and started thinking. And we're like, you know what? Let's do a let's do a left hand turn. <laughs> and we did. Yeah, yeah, we are swayed by um, reviews, aren't we? We're swayed by reviews, but we're also swayed by the creators and directors of certain properties, knowing you and sure. I. If we run into a director we like, we're not going to go see that film that nobody likes anyway. <laughs> yeah, that would just not make a great podcast. I would agree. Yeah, so that we... Bill and I happen to love Quentin Tarantino. I have watched most of his films, unlike Bill. I know. Slap um, <laughs> me. Sure. Immediately reveal that right off the bat. Now I'm so guilty. I'm like, oh, yeah. We started rattling out Tarantino films we've seen, and I was like, I didn't see that one. I didn't see this one. And I, I know probably... it's the film, the big film director he is, and me, the critic I am, is like, yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Well, the, the difference, I probably should have stated that a little more generously. You've seen the ones that I haven't seen. Cause when Isn't we were talking, I've seen Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, and uh, Django. There's more to that title. but And you saw yeah. the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because it's one of those that um, when you don't see a movie at the time and it goes away and you're always playing... Um, I'm going to go see it, really. I am going to go see the movie. And, you know, when you're married and married for a long time and mm-hmm. you're seeing movies together, um, that one doesn't really pop up. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the hard part. Now, if it's trending, I was able to see Tarantino films, but it's yeah. always going back. is been always difficult. And so... I haven't uh, dipped into it, but I, I will. I think I'm gonna. I'm ready to go on a binge, actually. So yeah, yeah. So without any further ado, we're gonna jump into our review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once again, the director is Quentin Tarantino. He also wrote this film. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie, among others. And the basic story of this film is. That you have two, you have a washed up actor and a stunt double. <laughs> and well, about to be washed up actor. 
thank you. He's trying to resurrect his career. And much of the <laughs> story right. is, is about him starring in this film. And there's so many, I think, hidden in inside jokes towards actors, towards the industry, towards directors, yeah. all yeah. within DiCaprio's role. Brad Pitt, of course, is the stunt double, and he's got his own little story arc. And wrapped into this is a reimagining of the gruesome murders involving... Oh, I just drew a complete blank. What's that director's name? Sharon Sharon, Tate. Yeah, Sharon Tate and Romain... What's the director's name? He was in Europe at the time. He wasn't killed, but that was... Yes, they were married at the time. Yes. Yeah. What was his name again? Uh, Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski. Thank you. And so the ending of the film actually is is a lot more kind of connected to that. Sure. So, Mr. Bill, let's talk yes. this through. So as a story, um, what? how did you feel about the story? Did you, like, creatively? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's... Um... It's really it's paying homage to the late '60s um, Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. Since whenever you have a, a, a timepiece, the director is going to focus in on that time, and everything about it is going to be about the time. The cars, the music, <clears throat> the clothing, the architecture, society. So Tarantino just focuses in on 1969. Right. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that that's really kind of the the I, I would say the overview and the presence of the film is is that. And really, the story is about uh, DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's character in the relationship, who is Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth. Right. Right. And um, so it's really seeing their partnership, their relationship. Uh, outside of the industry, in the industry, um, how they're friends, how uh, really they're tied to the hip. And uh, so you get this relationship movie. Um, at the same time, you get to follow really um, his career and how he, Rick Dalton's career and how he tries to resurrect it, how he tries to um, not become some has been. and. Uh, you know, and that that you see how, as an actor, tough guy. That's the funny part. How he reacts to his career as he slowly goes down the tubes. Mm-hmm. That was perfect. Um, that that was the film. This is what I would call a slow burn, explode and explosive ending. Yeah. And yeah. part of what he does here is he picks, like you said earlier, he picks on. 1969 Hollywood and one thing that's synonymous with 1969 are hippies. <laughs> oh my gosh. <clears throat> We're going to go right into the hippies. That's the funny part. And then, you know, my whole family actually seen this movie and um, you, you walk away uh, with Quentin Tarantino's dislike for hippies <laughs> and the entire hippie movement. I don't think there was one positive comment nor depiction of hippies in this film. No. <laughs> and I, I didn't know that I had such a disdain for hippies until I watched this film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the funniest part was it was always these effing hippies. And that I don't think there was any time they were referred to that that word was not a part of it. So it was funny. And, uh, yeah, they didn't portray themselves well in this film, did they? No, they didn't. And, and it, it's funny. I think that's the sign of, a, of a, a director and a writer, which happened to be the same person in this particular <laughs> film, when they're able to kind of get you, like draw out emotion in the viewer and where you end up developing this disdain for hippies. So, like, in the middle to the end of the film when... Uh, Cliff Booth punches one of the hippies square in the nose and he flies off of his feet and lands on his back. You are happy. I'm telling you, if you have not seen this film, when you see that scene, you will be thrilled. <laughs> the, the very fact that he left his feet was awesome. 
It was amazing. So, <laughs> and I think that's the, when you think of a story, I think it's not just, okay, what did the story do and where did the plot go? But it's like you said, it pulled together the entire aura of 1969, right. a washed up actor, his best friend, a stunt double, even Sharon Tate's um, presence visually, kind of the optics of her character. Right. And then also like, the little nuances like her going to a theater at one point watching one of her own films. It all just had this, this real feel, this naive right. kind of emerged kind of um, awareness of the 19 late 1960s. And I thought that I found that part of the story just very, very interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, as we kind of focus on the, the characters and Rick Dalton played by Leonardo DiCaprio uh, again, just his acting ability is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the the realiza- the realization that he's washed up until an agent tells him he's washed up, really, which is Al Pacino, and with Schwartz or Schwartz, he makes him pronounce his name. To- <laughs> Say it again. Oh gosh, it was so funny. Anyway, <clears throat> so. You know, there's this this relationship with Dalton and Cliff Booth, and Cliff Booth plays actually is based on Hal Needham, who is a real life stunt double with Burt Reynolds, and so that relationship between um, Cliff and and uh, Rick are based loosely based on uh, Hal Needham and Burt Reynolds, who Hal was um, Burt Reynolds's um, stunt double, and how they're inseparable. Of course, now that was in the seventies. But the Tarantino will always borrow stuff and then bring it into the, the movie setting. So, but it was interesting because you know here you have Rick Dalton as an actor and Cliff Booth as a stuntman, but you still see sociologically they're different. Um, you know, he, he Rick lives in this great palace, has to be driven in everywhere by Cliff because he's had too many DUIs. And then when Cliff goes home, he's we notice that he's a race car driver. You know, goes to the uh, his camper, which is right behind a drive-in movie, which is an absolute dump. And um, now you get the despairing uh, separation of the two characters, and he's you know he's feeding the dog uh, with just gruesome sound effects, drinking mac and eating mac and cheese, having a beer, watching the TV. And um, you, you kind of felt for him that not only is Rick a washed up actor, but Cliff is also a washed up stuntman. Yeah, I especially got that feeling when he drove out to his mobile home yeah. and when he like approached and parked and like, oh, this is where he's living. Right. Yeah, it was kind of that kind of hit me in the scene. And I think that is kind of the beauty of of this property is the way that that the character's immersion kind of in their world. Right. And it's not just what they say or what they do, but it's it's how they depict it visually. Right. Um, actually really draws this out. Because now that you bring that out, this felt like Burt Reynolds and his stunt double. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, you could see all of this happening. <laughs> you could see it, right? <clears throat> because... You know, Leo Descartes, Rick Dalton is this tough guy, this Western, um, you know, has been you know, how many 50s, early 60s Western shows where they're on TV at the time. That was so huge. And, you know, all of them are going to come out and being like uh, Clint Eastwood from Rawhide. But it's funny how then Rick Dalton ends up in Italy to resurrect his career by doing spaghetti Westerns, which is what. Clint Eastwood did so there's a lot of parallels that he takes and even though he's representing a fictional character he's also bringing in real life instances from other characters that are embody these guys and and that's that's the fun part because you get that film history the actor history that's in this film yeah yeah so the characters when we start thinking about the characters, the main two are Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth. Sharon Tate has an interesting presence. She has the relationship with Roman Polanski. 
And probably the most memorable thing about her character to me has to do with that little drive that she takes. And then when she stops off at the theater and watches her own film. Yeah. And what did you think of the depiction of Sharon Tate? And then how did you feel about Margot Robbie as the actor portraying Sharon Tate in this film? I think it's actually Roby. So let me. Uh, what did I just call her? You called her Robbie. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I can't even get Margot. That's why we're a professional podcast, Tom. I can't even get her name right. <laughs> remember, I got Brad Pitt's remember name her? Right. She was Harley and uh, Suicide yeah, Squad. Absolutely. But, you know, I screw up <laughs> names no matter where I go. That's true. So I'm glad you're here. Yes. Uh, I, I loved it. I, I thought that um, it was it was very innocent. Mm-hmm. And um, just the fact that she puts on the glasses to see herself on film. And she she was truly enjoying the film, but watching herself on film, like honestly, like anybody would, right? That yeah. Kind of playfulness, and really, she just has herself there to enjoy it and to see herself in a movie, and respond to the audience when certain things happen on film, and and uh, I thought it was very innocent. I think that that was the biggest thing that Tarantino wanted to bring across with Sharon Tate was her innocence, really her youthfulness, the way that she's um, just dancing. When she goes to a party, she's not going and drinking. She's dancing, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. she has wine and everything, but she's dancing. She's just a, like a teenage girl, want to have fun. And mm-hmm. and then she's in a room and she's putting records on. That's a teenage girl. So Tarantino is communicating that this innocence that's in Sharon Tate. And um, I believe that's what he wanted to bring uh, that character across is like, here's this um, innocent woman actress that is, uh, you know, set up for a huge um, historical tragedy. Yeah. There's a, another defining scene like at the party where another, I don't even know what, who he represented, but Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen, and he makes that observation. Yeah. 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 That's uh, Damian Lewis is interesting because I'm a huge Damian Lewis fan. He was in um, Homeland, and he's a really good actor. um, Mm -hmm. That, uh, and he actually kind of looked like Steve McQueen. So that -hmm. was very interesting. I didn't really see it until it was side by side, and I looked on the internet. But yeah, he makes an observation of, how she only um, liked short guys. So Yeah. It seems so... It was a commentary on Hollywood, on the relationships. Like, there are so many little nuances to this film that we're going to miss most of them, but a couple that was a nuance to me. Another one is that... So they, at the end of the film, and I won't spoil anything here, I just want to talk about the nuance. The nuance of Rick Dalton's poem being right next to Roman Polanski's home yeah. and Rick Dalton being excited about seeing Rick, uh, seeing Polanski go into his palace. I mean, I think all of those kinds of little nuanceical kind of things in this film, and it's all over the place, right. made this film really interesting. Yeah, it has a, such a real Hollywood play in all of that, how mm-hmm. characters admire other, you know, I'm sure that, um, you know, it's like anybody who meets, let's say, Paul McCartney for the first time and Mm -hmm. they see him and they're just in awe because they learn to play his music at a young age. And and any actor is going to be in awe of a famous director like uh, Tarantino. I mean, everybody wants to be in his films. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, he, he just has this. It's interesting because there's such a naivety that he puts in here too, it, a, a childlike feel within the movie. You see it in the characters. There's such a a childlikeness that's there, and innocence there, and that's what he's portraying in this film is the innocence. Now we know otherwise that Hollywood isn't uh, fully innocent, but he really comes across and wants to portray that there's an innocent here to a lot of these. Um, players in the film 
Yeah, which kind of leads to a little bit of a transition here as we talk about the director, yeah. Quentin Tarantino. Maybe what you could do for us first, Bill, if you could describe to us what makes a Tarantino film unique, and then sure. the follow-up would be how did this film fit that mold or break that mold? Right, yeah. So Tarantino films are usually larger than life. There's a, a production part and there's a story part that he, he that's very unique to him. And um, the story part's not usually a continuous storyline. Uh, there is a storyline, but it's usually done with a lot of flashbacks or flash forwards. And those scenes will tend to be uh, have long takes in them where there's a, a, a dialogue and it's being uh, slowly set up for something, right? That's like you, you could always prepare yourself for a Tarantino film is that if he is setting, he's setting up, setting the table, so to speak. And uh, so that's a, a, a film and production quality. And of course the violence, he's very, um, I don't think there's a movie that he's made previous to this that is not extremely violent. A lot of blood, a lot of shock, a lot of, uh, you know, sometimes over-the-top violence, and he he uses that. And and then he has uh, characters that they're, the characters are deep. Um, every single one of them have a history. Every single one of them have um, definitely nuances to them that make them uh, completely individualized and that propel the story. Mm-hmm. So... Now, looking at this film, it, it completely breaks the mold of that, I felt. Now, he still has long takes. Um, he still has those type of characters. There, there are some flashbacks, but it's not like complete flashbacks. And, the, and then the violence, the setting up of the violence does not exist, even though we're all waiting for it. We're all gripping our seat. <laughs> I mean, for example, like when Cliff Biff, Think about the long scene. It was a 10, 15 minutes of Cliff Booth on the farm and everybody saying, don't go in the house, and they're all watching. It's yeah. like it's, it's a typical setup Tarantino scene that somebody's getting shot, stabbed, executed, blood spurting, and then nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. Someone got punched in the face. That was it, though. That, but that's at the end of that. Right. Right. True. True. Yeah. True. That wasn't in the suspense because he really carries it out, mm-hmm. and and then it doesn't happen. Um, and so, you know, by the end of the film, not without you know saying the end of the film, leading into it, it, it a lot of it is not Tarantino. It's almost as if he is fooling us as an audience that he's leaving this type of filmmaking behind, and it it's yet to be seen what movie number 10 will look like but number nine seems as if he's making a transition from all the movies that he made previously okay yeah to me as i this film how do i say this this is the layperson maybe you could help help the layperson understand what what we experience in a tarantino film but and this isn't your typical tarantino film but i felt like as far as a story, a plot, a narrative, it was really kind of not really getting to a story. Right. Like it was not, but it didn't feel meandering either. It did not. It didn't feel like it was in minutia. It felt like it was showing me all these different little parts and pieces. And right. I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But once the ending happens, I went from thinking, wow, this is a slow burn, to thinking, I love this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he does it, a build-up, right? Yeah, it's almost like two hours of build-up, and then boom! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what's interesting, because usually the, the movie is laden, his movies are just laden with violence. It doesn't just end in violence, it's laden with violence. And, um, I mean, there are particular scenes that I absolutely love, and because... Mm-hmm. You, so you have these long takes, and he always does that. And um, one of my favorite scenes is when, uh, it, when it's the first part <clears throat> when uh, Nick Rick Dalton is with. He, they're actually showing the movie of um, him with uh, 
James Stacy, you know, the other cowboy, and he's playing the yeah. bad guy with the long mustache. And they go through this entire, I think about it, it was like, it had to be like 10 minutes of story, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then all yeah. of a sudden, he's like, lying. Yeah. Which is hysterical because you're seeing edits, you're seeing point of views, you're seeing all the, you're seeing the final product of the film, and then all of a sudden, he stops it, and you're in production mode, and then they revert the camera back, and they shoot it, but it's still the movie. Yeah, you're just yeah. seeing him mess up in the movie, not in production. He's messing up in the movie, and I thought that was just wonderful. That is so artful. And then yeah. he just proceeds to yell and swear at himself in the mirror, which was just hysterical. Of how you know he's going to stop drinking. He's a mess up, and it was like that whole montage was just great. Mm-hmm. And then he straightens himself up to finish the film. And, um, oh, I mean, just to see uh, that how he just gets DiCaprio to cry and to weep and to be all emotional. And he's supposed to be this tough guy. It was just, it just, it reveals like this other actors thing. And so he, he doesn't really keep in true storytelling like he always has with these characters that they're tough and they're just plowing through the plot to their end goal. Here he has like a real, troubled stunt man with an even more troubled actor and you follow these guys through and with all these supporting cast and it's it's so different from what he's used to doing yeah i think that's now that you say it that way that's what helps me to understand the difference like you go into these little rabbit holes that you wonder if they're going to be important but at the end of the day they're extremely important and i'll explain one of them there's a scene between Rick Dalton and a character named Trudy, which is played by Julia Butters. And she's like an eight-year-old girl. Yeah. And the first scene is Trudy is young and true to her profession. And she's trying to be the best actor she can possibly be. At eight years old. At eight years old. And that fits with an eight-year-old girl, by the way. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes. They are using every bit of their mental faculties to be the best. And that is what she's doing, which is so interesting because then he works into that narrative. Rick right. Dalton is on the other end of his life cycle. Right. <laughs> and he's reading a cowboy western about a guy that is, you know, <laughs> is washed up. Is washed up in. What he says to the girl, the little girl. What does the uh, what does Trudy say to to DiCaprio's character? Like there, there, and he's like, and then he says, "What does he say?" I know what he says. He goes, "Wait, wait, for, wait, wait! What happens to you in fifteen years or something like that?" I, I know. Just, <laughs> it's almost like you're not washed up. You're don't give up. Is Trudy's message to Rick Dalton? And then the payoff right. for me in that whole interaction is that later on they're shooting another scene where Trudy is sitting on Rick Dalton's lap and Rick Dalton gives the performance of his life. Right. And Trudy goes up to Rick and says, that was the best acting I've ever seen. And Rick Dalton starts to cry. (laughs) And it's one part satire. It's one part humor, but part of it was actually a real story in there. Yes. And I thought that was actually pretty cool. And I feel like there's there's parts in this movie that's like that. It's got these different layers to it all within in one scene. Yeah, I mean the funny thing is is that you know, he does Tarantino does use that movie. There is a cowboy movie that is exactly like that. And okay. so I, it, I believe it is called Lancer. I'm not too sure. But uh yeah, it was great and you know, he throws her off the lap. Maybe it was all of it, it was just it was great acting. It was great suspense, and yeah, uh, it was redeeming for himself. And he's glowing in tears. It's like he arrived, and he's like, "Yes, Rick Dalton." I mean, it was. <laughs> and it's so funny because they're using the, the like the visual optics of a of a young girl. Like yes. that's probably the most innocent thing in all of the visuals yes. of Hollywood. <laughs> yes, yes. And so it was. So Tarantino is making fun of actors and their emotional roller coaster they go in and um, how they are famous in one day and washed washed up the next and then yeah. they're taking any role that they can and uh, and he just shows that side. Yeah, 
So let's get to the big stuff. Let's get to okay the ending. The ending. Well, I loved this ending. But the ending ahead, has no. huge payoff, right? Yeah. I'm gonna huge. let you take. You could. Do you want to? Do you want to take it, Bill? I'll, I'll me... hand it. I'll hand it to you. You're handing it to me. Okay. Yeah. So basically, two hours of the film, you're you're ducking into all these little nooks and crannies. You're getting all these little these scenes that are depicting these characters, which are all actors who are washed up in 1969. So it all culminates in these three hippies um, thinking they're going into Roman Pulaski's home to do the gruesome murder, but instead they show up in the home of Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth. (laughs) So (laughs) if we revisit who these guys are, this is Cliff Booth, the stunt double, and they do this. See, the thing is, they set up so much that even trying to explain the ending and have the pop, it doesn't work. Because earlier well, in the film, go ahead, right? go ahead, Mel. Oh, you're yeah. going to when he fights Bruce Lee. Right, right. So they have Rick right. Dalton fight Bruce Lee, and he demolishes him, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, it's like Bruce Lee gets the better of him in the first, you know, there's three parts of the fight, and, yeah. and then he whoops Cliff the first time. And then Cliff picks him up and chucks him into a car. <laughs> I know. So using that, yeah, the Bruce Lee who could never be defeated. And there's right. layers. There's layers to all of that too, because Bruce Lee kind of shows up in Hollywood back in that time, and he's kind yeah, of the yeah. flower child, getting a lot of attention and dancing around. And there's kind of some meaning in all that. But Cliff Booth can fight a little bit if you can throw Bruce Lee into a car, right? <laughs> so these hippies... Yeah, you know, he, is that before he took out the hippie? Or is that... Yeah, that was before he took out the hippie. That was so we know that took... Yeah, so we know that Cliff can fight. Yeah, Cliff can fight a little bit. So now you have these hippies who are a little disorganized and a little idealized. They have knives and they're, they show up and they make the fight a little even in the sense that Cliff Booth smoked a cigarette dipped in acid and had been drinking all night. So he's not going to be on top of his game. But he does have a big pit bull. <laughs> <laughs> not only like any other pit bull, but a pit bull with the head the size of a basketball. I know. So the fight goes down and the, the surprise of all surprises is they kind of stay true to the reputation of the pit bull. The pit bull jumps up and just demolishes this guy. And yeah. he first he crushes his hand that's holding the gun. Then he grabs him by the groin and just starts throttling this guy. I'm like, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then Cliff takes care of the other one. And he just rams that character's head into walls, into pillars, into floors. <laughs> and to cap Uh-oh. it all off, the third victim gets torched with a flamethrower by Rick Dalton. <laughs> Before getting mauled by the dog. Right. <laughs> like getting her face basically chewed <laughs> off by the dog. Oh. And I can't tell you how the how Tarantino does this, but I did not know that I had this disdain for these characters until that happened. I was right. so satisfied. I don't know that I've seen a payoff in the form of that kind of brutal violence since Logan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. That's true. <laughs> I get it. I, it. It is true. It's the, um, you know, Tarantino. He was, he's like, he was, it's like, wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. And here it is. This is what y'all been waiting for. And, um, well, it, 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 it's two things, right? It's the dirty hippie, right? Yeah that yeah. we've been pretty much um, you know, brainwashed into thinking the entire movie. They're just dirty hippies. But it's these hippies that historically are the ones that you know killed um, Tate and her friends. And uh, the beauty of it too is is, you know, as it fine you know, ends up that, you know, when he came out with a flamethrower, that was just awesome. He just yeah. torches her with the flamethrower. It's just just so overkill. It was True Tarantino, and I'm just laughing. I know that when, my wife said she went to the movie, and she was the only one laughing. She just we were, but he got it, you know. You and I were laughing so loud. 
We were laughing so loud. We probably scared everybody in the movie. Well, the beauty was, is like in the theater that we went, there was a couple of guys that, because this movie was funny. And it's yeah. like, you go in thinking you're seeing a Tarantino film, and we all thought we were, and it's not turning into a Tarantino film. You got to just yeah. kind of take it as the way it is. But we were in the theater, there was a lot of people that were laughing. And because yeah. it was a lot of stuff that was just so funny. Yeah, and and was so over the top and so hysterical too, yeah. and uh, you know, and, and and it was the same type of things in, in Inglorious Bastards when, you know, they're on the top balcony and they're all shooting at Hitler and killing all the Nazis. Come on, Hitler was killed in Glorious Bastards, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and so now here we have another alternative ending to yeah. to history is, and he did that in Inglorious, and he did it in this one, and. Uh, and the payoff is yes, we don't like these people. They're they're you know the Manson family was just horrible, horrible people. And um, but I think that the 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 real ending was just you know when he's with the cops and then the, everybody's away and uh, mm-hmm. yeah you know, they're talking with him and you know and it was kind of funny when he was just saying well you know Cliff and the dog took care of those two and I finished the last one off with the flamethrower. I mean. It was, that was yeah. funny, but he's kind of telling the recapping of what just everybody saw. But and I, I think, know. like, like what you're Go saying, ahead. what what made that, what made the true ending of the film, the actual cap off, because the violence was extremely satisfying. But what made it even more satisfying was that this character comes down from Polanski's um, Polanski's estate and asks Cliff Dalton, "Hey, what just happened, dude?" And he yeah. explains it all. And they invite him into his house. He hugs Sharon Tate, and he just kind of hangs out like, "What? They're letting me come into his estate?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, that whole commentary—it it just kind of fit the mold. It, it was this is a film that makes fun of itself, but also makes a commentary on society. Like hippies have this reputation in society of being these peace lovers, right? These peacekeepers. Right. But then when you look among a lot of things, they smoked a lot of marijuana, they took all their clothes <laughs> off, they sang songs, you know, a lot of things happened. But a couple of things that they did that wasn't so great was the Manson stuff, the murder of, you know, the whole right. Polanski stuff, the the Jones stuff that happened in in Africa. And I mean, there were a lot of things that people that ascribed to the values of the hippie movement did that was actually really horrendous and tragic at the same time. And this movie is a commentary on that. Right. Right. Definitely. I mean, what I also kind of read the ending too to get really, um, it, to me, it was, it was pretty creepy. I thought because yeah. here is, um, you know, we all know who know this because a lot of people don't know, believe it or not, a lot of millennials, they don't know really what happened until afterwards. You know, we told our kids, well, this is really what happened. And they were like, no, See, they didn't, they didn't understand that ending. So, um, you know, when Jay Sebring, who was one of the men murdered in in the in there, is peeking through the gate through the uh, the the um, bars, and then um, uh, Sharon Tate is is on a speaker talking to him. To me, that was um, kind of a creepiness that was there. Um, yeah. There was a kind of a voice from beyond. Um, he was not um, Jay was not let. Uh, able to be let go because the gate was closed and so there was kind of this heaven's gate type of situation that he was still stuck in time stick behind the the gate and Sharon is still um, like calling from beyond and you know when they make that transition of the over the head train shot and they're meeting each other and seeing each other and then you know comes once upon a time in Hollywood to just tell you hey you just saw a fairy tale Um, yeah yeah. There was to me an eeriness that was really there because, I mean, you could kill Hitler and everybody was like, yeah, I walk around Hitler. Yeah, Hitler didn't get killed by somebody, but he ended up, you know, taking his own life. And but this is, you know, quite the opposite happened here. And um, to me, I, I felt there was a an eeriness there. There was a fog. There was like a, a the lighting was still kind of cast down as if something ominous still happened here. Yeah, that's a, a very astute observation because yeah. just thinking back to Sharon Tate's voice over that speaker, 
It was the voice of an innocent, welcoming person. Like, oh, who are you? You know, it was, and that helped, uh, that to me, like you said, it's like her calling from the beyond and kind of a reminder that, I guess another commentary, and you kind of said this, but in my own words, is that even from a distance, we only know these actors from a distance. Sure. And as much as we think we know about them, we don't know really anything about them. And right. we're not in their personal lives. We can make judgments about the films and the topics in the films and in the things that they do tend to be definitely brought into the media quite a bit, but we don't really know them. So for us to develop, um, especially a hatred that would lead individuals to break into someone's house and murder, murder them is right. completely off base. But even to have to get too caught up in our judgment is probably something we need to be pretty cautious of given the fact that we really don't know anything about about these actors unless you're actually in their lives right and that's the kind of the commentary too in this movie right um yeah rick dalton is this tough guy real famous at one time in a famous show and he has this persona of who he is and uh, the only person i think that really didn't changed his character at all with Cliff. <laughs> what you see is what you got out of Cliff. Uh, that's what I felt, you know, even when yeah. they did the, the scene when he's on the boat and his wife is just yelling at him and he just kind of has the spear gun and you know what happens next, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but that was even kind of a nod to Natalie Wood, too, of how she mysteriously dies on a yacht. And um, so Cliff kind of, I think that, as much as you are correct about actors and stuff, what's interesting what they showed in this film is Cliff really does stay the same. He's an ex World War II vet. He was a fighter. You know, he's yeah. a loyal. You know, as a lot of vets would be, they're loyal. And you know, he's down on his luck, but he's got a relationship. He doesn't. He's not self-important. And so there's a interesting here where he does kind of make fun of actors a little bit. They're emotional wrecks. They're all about themselves. Um, yeah, they're all about yeah. uh, their success, their stories, their future, their fame. But that's what made interesting his depiction of Sharon Tate is that she would just carry this innocence all along. And now we don't really know who Sharon Tate was. She could have been innocent because she'd been this. But come that's on, it's true. still Hollywood, right? But yeah. um, you know, there are people ended up in Hollywood, and it's not really the most moral place. But you're correct. It's it's that, um, and and we're never going to really as a society these people are always going to be stars. They're always going to be lifted up. That's how Hollywood's made. It's the star system. And, um, and I mean, even like the whole Bruce Lee thing, I mean, the family is mad at Quentin Tarantino for how he dissed uh, Muhammad Ali and the daughter comes out and Tarantino comes out of, you know, the, his house to defend himself and says, Hey, listen, this was in a book. This was in a biography. This is what Bruce Lee said. You know, so-and-so said this about him and, and he's like, Cliff is a fictional character for crying out loud, you people. But think about it. That's how people get wrapped up into people in movies and yeah, actors. Yeah. Is they just get trapped into this belief that this is who they are. And um, It strikes know. a little bit of the ego in every one of us oh, who yeah. is either jealous of or attached in some kind of dysfunctional way to the benefits that we see from a distance that actors share. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, and the more you think about it, the more pathetic it can get. Um, so it has this big splash ending. It's haunting. It almost felt like a horror film in that very last sequence yeah. of events that you very accurately depicted, Bill. So when you look at all of this, all said and told, thinking about the entertainment value and everything how would you rate this what would you rate this a zero out of ten right well it's interesting because as good as a film it was it wasn't really highly entertaining um uh i liked it i think there were parts in it that i was like okay you know let's move it along a little bit more because it was almost a three-hour film and the yeah. reason why it's a three-hour film is because he takes these 10 minute 15 minute long takes that and in this movie really didn't lead to anywhere um, but that's fine. That, that's part of what Tarantino does and you've got to like it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I liked it in every single part of the film. Um, I liked the fact that he didn't really stay true to his type of 
violent, over the top storyline. Um, but I give it an eight and a half. Um, okay. I liked it. Um, mm-hmm. Entertaining. It was entertaining on a different level, more of a personal, historical, you know, pseudo historical take, you know, fiction characters all blending into one. Um, some parts were definitely um, kind of meandered, I thought, a little bit. Um, but I liked it overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the, the payoff to me, obviously, was the ending. And um, I did think it kind of got stuck in places. Um, yeah. I think what didn't help me, though, was there was a couple sitting next to me. And the one gentleman was a little bit heavy set and a little older. He was, like, hacking and snorting and, like, eating really loud. <laughs> and I got the overweight women next to me. So yeah. they stayed kind of it kind of clear for me. It was, it was like, <laughs> I'm trying to watch a movie here, guys. <laughs> what are you doing here? Are you here? Are you here having a picnic? Or are you watching a movie? I'm like, you know what? You can stop eating. Like, you don't have to eat all of that My, popcorn. <laughs> look at you, man. You're 350 pounds. Can't you take a break? I know. Shoveling that stuff in your pile. Oh. And it wasn't just waiting for Tom to crack in the middle of the theater. It was also his partner. Like they were both oh, no. eating loudly. And the thing that so I was the movie trying to experience was it where you wanted to be. Well, I was trying to coach myself down from it because I was thinking, okay, you know, they're coming out to the movies together. This is their night out. Like this is this is a thing for them. They're coming to a Quentin Tarantino film. And so they're here to dig in and really enjoy a film. So who am I to sit and judge them? (laughs) Who am I to sit and judge them when they're here to enjoy? And part of their enjoyment is the eating of that popcorn. So (laughs) I was trying to get into the right mental headspace. And that took up a lot of energy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i was wondering i would look at you and i was like you had this zone look on your face and i was like is tom with us right now is he off somewhere yeah. else i was fighting a battle it was a you cognitive were. fight um you know, next that, time you can say can you switch seats with me and i'd be glad to i've done I'd that actually before. ask guy for popcorn that's that's just me though Maybe the last time them? The last time that this happened, we were in a film together with Adrian. Yes. And he was the one doing the all that. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm, unfortunately, I, that's not my movie going. Uh, I, I don't order popcorn. I never, I'm not much of a popcorn eater anyway. No. But uh, I don't feel like I need to sit and eat and watch a movie. I, I'm not yeah. that guy. Uh, and I know if I drink, it, you know, 20 minutes later, I'm, my bladder is ready to explode. And that means I got to get out yeah. and then I'm going to miss parts of the movie. So I try to just avoid everything. Now, licorice, yeah. you want me a licorice? Yeah, I'll, I'll eat some licorice. Now, you know, Adrian was slipping me some food. I was, I was enjoying it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, the other know, thing. Yeah, it's a whole food food. So I don't usually eat that. So, you know, I'm going to partake. The other thing that was that really resonated with me, uh, except for the ending, the ending really hit me. I love the ending. Yeah, is that the Sharon Tate scene when she goes to watch her own herself in a movie? To me, is a microcosm of every single podcaster like you and I out there. And there's a little part of us. I felt like it was as as much fun as she was having. She really did enjoy it when the audience saw her on screen, laughed at her performance in right. a good way, in a right. good way, and kind of noticed her. Right. And I think there's like a little bit of that in every podcaster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that, it, movie actors will, will tell you that they like to sneak in the theater and, and hear how the audience responds. Now, hopefully the audience responds in a good way because it's a good film rather than like, oh, that's just hot garbage. But, you know, that they, um, you know, they love to hear that. That feeds the ego. That feeds the, the reason, one of the reasons why they like to do that is because it is, a, there's an entertainment value. Because think about performers are normally on stage. I mean, that's where before film, it was all on stage. And you had got to 
live and breathe the reaction of the uh, the audience. I mean, a lot of these early actors came on the silent era. They were in vaudeville. Mm-hmm. A lot of these vaudevillian comedians, and you know, that's the hardest thing for them was not to hear the audience laugh while they're shooting and, the film. Mm-hmm. And I think that as much as we like to make fun of actors for that quality, we are just like that ourselves in some ways where we want to be witnessed we want someone to notice our importance our behavior and kind of experience it with us i think whether you're a songwriter singer actor or you're doing you know whatever i think we we want that we kind of feed off that in in some ways um obviously there's dysfunctional extremes in there (laughs) of course (laughs) definitely so well, Bill, I think that's going to do it for this week's podcast, our review of Once second, Upon a Time. You're getting away from actually giving your score. Did I, did I give my score to Dark no, last time? No, you did not. I did uh, not, so I was trying to go two in a row. No, I, I'm not letting you buy this time. So keeping in mind that my scoring system especially is extremely arbitrary. <laughs> <laughs> um, the beauty is that I know how you score, but I just like to hear it. That's all. So I'm very emotional, and if there's a payoff in a film, by golly, <laughs> and there is a payoff in this, and yes. most films just don't give you a payoff. They not like this. End, no, not like this. And I can compare it to Endgame. Sorry, Marvel fans, Endgame did not give me the payoff this film gave me. And I I love comic books. And this film did it. He nails it. So I go really high when when you have an actor that knows that your audience has a need for that. And by golly, you better (laughs) satiate that need. Okay? (laughs) I'm not there to chop on popcorn, to slurp on straws, or suck out licorice. I want to pay off on the film. And this film did it. And... So I'm up there. I'm like a. I'm going north of nine on this. I'm. I'm yeah, in the nine and a half. You go, Tom. <laughs> you put it all out there. Yes. So there you go. And all right. Well, I just needed to hear that crescendo. That was my payoff to this podcast, like it was your payoff. Thank you, and I hope it was also this podcast was also a payoff for anyone who went to see the movie. Or if you haven't seen it yet, hopefully we did spoil the movie, but hopefully we wet your whistle enough where you'll go out and, and go and see this film and enjoy yourself. So, Bill, for now and until next time, this has been Heroes Garage. Bye-bye.